When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Hello and welcome to our latest Royal Blue podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And a slight change of personnel today. Uh, we've got the uh, regulars, Phil Kirkbride, our Everton correspondent, myself, David Prentice, and a former regular, uh, Greg O'Keefe, uh, now of the BBC, uh, but uh, back in town uh, for this uh, one. And Chris Beasley, uh, our Everton editor today, who's... Um, we're not going to look back too much on the other Burnley game because we've, you know, so I think we've seen enough and heard enough about that but we're going to reflect maybe on the other first you know, few months of the season and, and Ronald Koeman specifically uh, because there seems to be a lot of uh, anger, a lot of frustration uh, pointing towards the Everton manager at the moment and so we're just going to discuss all things Ronald uh, for this one. So first of all before we start I'd like to go around the table and uh, just see how we all feel about his position because a lot of fans out there already calling for changes I'll take the first you know, tack on this. I think it's madness to talk about sacking a manager seven games into a season, as frustrated and as unhappy and as angry as you may be. Uh, I think that would be a complete you know, uh, erroneous decision. But you know, anybody here think differently? I mean, Chris, what do you, how do you feel? I actually think there's more chance long-term, possibly, that Ronald may um, quit rather than um, him being sacked him, himself. Um, he's a... Different kind of manager than we've had that known at Everton in the past. Always been very much more of a business arrangement, and nobody saw him staying beyond the three years of his contract to start with. So if things mm-hmm. don't go well, I could actually see him um, going off his own accord. Greg, are you? Uh, I can't see him fired. Yeah, <laughs> I can't see him getting sacked no. um, anytime, anytime soon. I was just saying earlier to Phil, like, if the situation continued to deteriorate and by, say, Christmas or January, yeah. Everton were out of the Europa League, which depressingly is a realistic prospect, the yeah. way we started our group campaign, uh, albeit by by no means a cert. And say we were out of one of the Cups, the League Cup, and, you know, again, a difficult prospect in that competition, um, thanks to the, uh, the draw. So if that were the case, and they're still in the bottom half of the Premier League, in that in that regard, Fahad Mishu is a bit of an unknown quantity. Yeah. You know, I think if had it been the previous kind of regime, we know Bill Kenwright liked to give managers the benefit of the doubt and was very reluctant to join the second club culture. Um, and and I think that's why Roberto Martinez probably clung on a bit longer mm. than 
maybe he should have, but it's not a bad thing to want to not be a, a reactive uh, firing club because you get yourself in a pattern of always chasing the, the next manager. And you know, if the next manager comes in, doesn't win the first six games, there's pressure on him, and you don't know where it ends. But it's interesting to hear Chris say he could walk because everything that every setback and I know every defeat, high-profile defeat, that's that he'll become now because Burnley was was a game we should have won and we didn't. You begin to wonder what's it doing for his CV. Yeah, exactly. He's always been a manager who's had one eye beyond Goodison, but at the moment, you know, Barca weren't too interested in him in the in the summer. We were told when they uh, when they replaced the former manager. I certainly can't see them looking at him now. Yeah. Phil, you uh, keep the faith, or are you? Yeah, as I wrote last night after the game, I think it'd be stupid to sack him now. Seven league games into the season. I know the manner of, of many of the performances has been a concern, but if you sacked him now, the, the, the new manager that you would bring in would have the same problems. Yeah. Um, the summer window is in many ways very, very good, in other ways flawed, and I don't think it would make any sense to be, unless something drastically, it got drastically worse and... And he did, as Ronald said, would be a defining moment. If he did lose the dressing room, then that's a different that's a different question. But until he gets the opportunity to have a target man that he wants and a bit more balance in defence, the two key positions that he spoke about for weeks and weeks before the deadline, I don't see it making any sense to sack him. This was this was a manager who whipped Everton into shape last season. I I find it incredible that. I understand it's modern day football, but I still find it incredible that he would build up so much credit from last season. As I say, whipped Everton into shape, got them into seventh by a, a huge margin back into Europe. And we're, we're only in October and people go and get rid of him. Yeah. I, 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 look, everybody's got an opinion and we're all frustrated and, and confused at how kind of lacking in a kind of identity and style they are at the minute and the fact that he changes the team every week but I find it I find it bizarre that, that people are saying he's he, he's got to go um, I think that's a modern football you know mindset unfortunately isn't it you know we live in this uh, social media age now whereby people form opinions very very quickly and then change their minds very very quickly uh, you know ironically on that social media uh, platform uh, Twitter last night Neville Southall who isn't always uh, the most rational of, uh, of commentators uh, but suggested it would be silly uh, to, to lose Ronald Koeman now. He says because he hasn't got a centre-forward to work with and you know any new manager that comes in in the foreseeable future won't have a centre-forward to work with until January. So what would be the point of uh, changing him? I, I, w- I would say, and I think it's important, that Ronald's got to start finding some answers, though. Look, we can't sign any new players until, until the very earliest, the 1st of January. Um, so he's got to work with what he's got. He's got plenty of quality, you know, a lot of money's been spent and, you know, whatever he disputes it, rightly or wrongly, incorrectly, I think, he still has spent a lot of money and added to the wage bill significantly. So he has got good players to work with and he has got to get better out of them. And he's, for me, he's got to find an 11 and just stick with it and have a defined, clearly um, obvious style of playing. Simplify the process because he's over-complicating it at the minute. And... And get through it. Get through till January. Start grinding results out. Look, he's been through a, a really bad run last season. They came out of it. This is arguably worse because the pressure's more acute now and, and the summer they've had. But getting rid of him now, I just find bonkers. 
I mean, that's the, the weird thing. I mean, you talk then about an identifiable shape. If we go on the table, can any of us actually say what formation Everton play? I mean, you know, David Moyes always had a very defined you know, system. Roberto Martinez did. You know, he stuck you know, a bit too rigidly to it at times. He, he, he flirted with, you know, the other three at the back on occasions, which was pretty disastrous. But, you know, we generally knew what kind of side he was going to put out. I certainly couldn't say, you know, what Ronald's shape is this season. You know, has anybody seen that? I think, you know, identifiable. When things are going well, that um, tactical flexibility that Koeman brings was seen as a big positive, wasn't it? You can go three at the back, you can go four at the back, you mix it up. He's not tied to 4-4-1-1 like Moyes or Martinez, who had a very distinct way of playing and couldn't deviate from that. But now things are going badly, that variation becomes a problem. And like Mm. Phil says, you can't get by on a first eleven, but you could have a basis for that to just have some sort of defined shape. The big problem is he's got so many players who are quite similar, as we know, like Sigurdsson, Rooney, Class, and it's trying to find a formation that works for all of them and brings the best out of those um, players. It's funny actually. He said after the game on uh, Sunday that you know he obviously he's feeling pressure, uh, but he tries to dismiss all questions about his future. And you know he says obviously if the players aren't performing for him, then it becomes an issue. And I think they are at the moment. I mean, uh, Michael Keane said this morning that you know he feels it's the players' responsibility rather than managers to try and change things. Is is that fair, Greg? I mean, have we uh, have we got enough characters in the squad able to do that? I mean, when Wayne Rooney came on yesterday, you could tell this was a fellow with with character, with strength, mental strength, who wanted the ball. It wasn't you know afraid, if you like, which is a phrase that you know Koeman's used in the recent past. But are there enough like that to be able to you know sort of carry Everton through this situation at the moment? Well, just to pick up on the theme before we get into the character side, as what Phil was saying, Kuman did come in and instill a, a renewed sense of resilience and defensive grit in a team that were just a bit of a shambles defensively, and, and he turned that around. And that was based on, you know, that was based on character really. And he brought in, um, dare I say, Ashley Williams, who had a decent first season. Yeah. I don't think he he recaptured the heights of that Euros and, and his last season at Swansea. And I think we've probably seen now that that was, that was his peak, I'd suggest. And now we're dealing with a player who's still a, a durable, jobbing Premier League centre-back, but for me, he's becoming a problem. And nevertheless, he's, a, he's supposed to be a big personality. Jaggy Elk has been in and out of the team, and you know, he's, not, he's not fit at the moment, but again, club captain, personality. Bain's very experienced. Lukaku was the, was the most high-profile player that left, who played a lot. And you know, for all his... He, he was a character, you can tell that, and he, he did lead the team, literally... But that can't be the only reason why they seem to go into their shell and, and lose confidence so quickly. It does start, for me, in the manager's office. And I, Again, I don't think he should be sacked. But I, I am beginning to naturally, I suppose, question whether he deserves this elite reputation that he had as a coach when he came. You know, when, when, when he became the manager, we thought, wow, we've actually gone and yeah. we've picked one of the, the best managers outside the top four. He achieved, you know not success in tangible terms, but did well at Southampton, mm-hmm. touted with bigger jobs. But now I'm looking at, is his reputation really based on the brand as a player and the fact that, you know, he's he's a Dutch manager, he's done bits and pieces elsewhere, only ever won the one trophy. Sacked in the end at Valencia, you know, didn't really go smoothly in, in, in periods of his time in Eredivisie. I'm thinking... Is he as tactically astute as we thought? Yeah. It's definitely there to be questioned, isn't it? hundred percent. And I think part of the, the issue why he's probably so unpopular at the moment amongst a certain section of the fans is, OK, things are going wrong on the pitch and you can pick holes in what he's doing tactically. 
but it's just that feel for the club that if you clearly have a passion for the football club and yeah. you can empathise with those supporters, it buys you a bit of time. I mean, Roberto Martinez did that very successfully, whether he was sincere, who knows, but you know, he did it and it bought him a little bit of time when necessary. Ronald Koeman always gives the impression of being this very detached cold fish. I mean, a lot was made of the celebrations during the Bournemouth game when Duncan's going absolutely bonkers down the touchline and he's just absolutely you know, switched off. You can say that's a good thing, you know, because Rafa Benitez is exactly the same when he was at Liverpool. You know, he's absolutely focused on what's happening on the pitch. But the fans want to see somebody that cares as much. And you get the impression that, you know, it's, it's more about Ronald than it is about the team. And uh, it's, it's, it, it, it won't buy him any time, I think. You know, if, if things continue in the vein in which they are continuing, I'm looking at those next two home games fills me with foreboding. I mean, Leon and Arsenal, the next two games at home. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's, it's going to take good performances to get results yeah. in there. It's performances that we haven't, you know, to produced recently. If those two go the wrong way, we're talking like you know November looming then, and you know, you know, boardrooms do start to get twitchy then. Uh, did you feel that there's you know passion from Ronald about Everton football club? Is he, or is it important? Does it matter? Well, I was going to say, playing devil's advocate, does it matter if he's focused over the next over the international break? And when he gets that little bit of time, the players hatches the perfect plan that goes and gets a convincing win against Brighton. Yeah. We go and get the points against Leon, and all of a sudden things have got momentum. Our words are empty, aren't they? In that yeah. respect, and you know, you spoke about Roberto, and we're not we're not here to to, to criticise Martinez, but you know, there were times when it was almost a little bit politician, a bit smooth, yeah. but there were platitudes. But at the end of the day, what does that matter? Because yeah. you know, for for the majority of Evertonians, they'll they'll see through, you know, what's genuine and what's not. And Ronald, if Ronald just suddenly started talking about his warmth for Everton, people go, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is this isn't right. And I think yeah. they would see through it. I think Ronald is Ronald. He won't change in the way he, he speaks publicly. Um, it's what it's what he does with the team. That's that's ultimately will matter. What what I do find interesting about what he's been saying lately is that there've been echoes of the last two managers. And I thought that it was a it was a trope of Everton manager moan that we were we'd seen the end of. Frankly, it sounds to me like he's been complaining about money. Yeah. He's been saying that you know, we didn't spend as much as it looks. People keep saying we spent X amount. It's all about money, or it's always about money. He said after the Burnley defeat, and Evertonians are probably sick of hearing that from, you know, Roberto Martinez who would drop it in amidst like the romanticism <laughs> of we can beat anyone on our day. And Moyes obviously moaned about it, in fairness, to uh, to an extent, understandably. Indeed, that, yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes, completely, uh, he lost the plot with it like that, example against City. But, you know, Moyes' gripes now seem uh, seem fair, fair beer. But I I thought we were beyond this. I thought yeah. Everton had gone into a bright new era. Now, it, realists always knew, and I know we've all written it at different times, that Mishiri's wealth, as, as vast as it is, isn't a Man City wealth, isn't a Chelsea wealth. You know, it probably isn't even on the same scale as the Glazers in terms of the fact they've inherited already a global marketing, you know, machine in United. But if Michi- sorry, if Koeman is complaining about money, what's the end game in that? Is there a suggestion then that he he wanted to spend more? Well, he's not. From what I can gather, and again, I'm not trying to defend him. He doesn't seem to be complaining that they didn't spend enough necessarily. Although, look, he was clearly not happy that they didn't sign a striker and stuff, but. I think he's railing against the perception that they've, again, probably wrongly, 
that they've they've spent enough that should mean they a challenge of the top four. So he's saying, well, yeah, we may have spent 150, 155, but we've recouped. But uh, net spend, uh, yeah. But obviously, the problem is he's added significantly to the wage bill, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But, but you also, it's probably worth noting as well in terms of he's not complaining that they didn't spend enough because he's gone on, gone on record as saying when it was coming to deadline day and we're talking about fourth and fifth choice targets for strikers, yeah. the prices were too much. So he's even so he's probably saying no. Yeah. No, we're not spending that money. We'll keep my power drive. We'll spend it better. Well, there's a disconnect then because Mashiri at the last general meeting was talking about a window of opportunity for Everton yeah. to start getting into that top four or to get nearer to it and to drag them back. And then Koeman, I remember a few weeks ago, was essentially saying, forget about the top four. He was effectively writing it off. So there's mixed messages there. My, my concern, I'd like to know a little bit more about you know the, the the power structure, if you like, and who does what at that top end. Because you know Ronald suggested in recent conferences about transfer window in January, and he's well now no, you know Steve Walsh is here for the long term. That'll be his you know responsibility, indicating that you know three years is the absolute maximum that he's here. So who is buying the players? Because we've said it many times before, you know, uh, about the imbalance in the ch- spending this summer. It's been woeful, you know, to have three number tens in the squad, no strikers, or you know, Dominic Calvert Lewin and Umar Niasse, your only strikers. To have no left back cover, to have no left central defensive cover, but loads of right backs. I mean, he complained when he first came in, Ronald Koeman, that we're top heavy with left backs, and you know, whatever. I think not, you know, top left backs and right wingers. I think he said, and you know, so not enough elsewhere. He's got exactly the same problems, but just in different positions. Now, is he responsible for that? Or does he actually send out a list of targets, which, you know, Steve Walsh et al. are supposed to recruit, recruit and haven't done so? Think of the basic, the very sort of basic crude level. Under, the, my understanding would be, as first-team coach, because he's not manager in the David Moyes, Martinez sense, who would micromanage every aspect of the football club, he'll have the meeting with Steve Walsh and the board and go, I want a striker, left-sided defender, I want... Two midfield, central midfielders and whatever. Steve Walsh goes away, comes back. Here's what we found. Ronald Koeman might have said, look, I want, a, I want Schneiderling considered, I want Klassen considered, Siggins, etc. But I think very much, it's very much a case of, right, Steve Walsh, you go and do it now. Come back to me when you've got a player ready to sign. I'm the coach. I work with the players. I don't deal in negotiations. I don't worry about that side of things. But... Whether in practice it's that clear, of course, I don't know. No, the whole situation is like, you know, so very, very messy. Um, I mean, what do you think of the, the summer recruitment policy? Is it, It's clearly flawed, yeah. but, you know, who should the finger yeah, be pointing yeah, out for that? You know, yeah. the manager, ultimately, the book stops with him. He's the guy who gets sacked at the yeah. end of the day. I compared it to building a, a beautiful new house and then leaving the roof off. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. they, did, they did lots of early business, which... Yeah. Um, Outsiders were excited about, you know, yeah. we had neutrals like um, Richard Keyes, yeah. infamously now tipping Everton to finish it above um, Liverpool. But there was a real feel-good factor. The deals yeah. were getting done early um, with a minimum amount of fuss. And then they all seemed to, everything seems to sort of get bogged down in the long pursuit of Gilfie Sigerton. And that's perhaps where they turned, yeah. took the eye off the ball for the, the centre-forward um, that they needed. Um, it's a convenient get-out for Ronald, isn't it, when things are going badly to um, blame it all on Steve Walsh but it was the it was the system that he said he wanted to work under when he, sure. he came on yeah. it's the one he's obviously used to working under in, in continental football um, I don't um, particularly like it myself in that I've always think that as a manager 
you know better than anyone who, who your best target should be. And I'd, I'd personally prefer a manager who took the responsibility himself. But Ronald can't um, complain because it's the system he wanted and the, and the system that he, he's used to using. Sure. OK, what, what does he need to do? Let's try and identify you know, some ideas, some policies he needs to introduce in the immediate future to try and turn things around. Um, obviously, international break now, not ideal. A number of players are going to be away. He's not going to get them back until the Thursday before the trip to Brighton. Um, but what does he then need to do to try and, you know, turn what at the moment is a poor start to the season, a slow start to the season? And let's not lose sight of the fact that they played the top four in that game, you know, three of them away from home. Actually, Scotty, you know, one of our regulars here, came out with that great stat before kickoff at the weekend. If we win today, we're only three points outside the top four, having played, you know, Chelsea away, having played City away, having played United away, having played Spurs at home. Which is great. You know, the only downside is we didn't win on Saturday on Sunday. Um, but you know, it's still early days. But that can change very, very quickly unless you know so a couple of points are thrown on the board very quickly. So what what can he do to try and you know get those points on board? I, I personally would you know talk about a settled defence. Um, it was notable that statistic about Burnley at the weekend. Every one of their back four have played every minute of every Premier League match well, together. Reg- Reg- yeah. Yeah. They're not world beaters, but you know, me and Tarkovsky were getting talked up on match of the day too last night, like some kind of you know Table potential right. England, you know, sort of partnership. And you know, they're solid, they know each other's game inside out, but they shouldn't be any better than say, you know, Michael Keane or Ashley Williams or Michael Keane or you know Mason Holgate should be. I just think they should they need to play together more frequently to start to get that kind of partnership going, whereas they changed every single game, you know, Ronald chops and changes. Likewise, uh, midfield, let's talk midfield, you know, we are, Schneidlin and Idrissigay played at the weekend together, you know, we've been bemoaning the fact that we shouldn't have two holding midfielders, but Idrissigay was much further up the pitch, you know, Schneidlin was effectively a holding player, he played further up, and did it hopelessly, you know, he's not a guy that, you know, can create things in and around the edge of the box, his shooting's woeful, so the balance there is wrong. Um, for 20 minutes, it looked good, though. You know, it was bright. You know, it looked like there was more of a team, more of a shape. So, any thoughts on, you know, what he needs to do in the short term to try and get a result? You've, you know? you've, you've touched on what I was going to say, really. It's, he needs to find out what's going wrong with Morgan Schneidlin. Um, I'm not increasingly not a fan of him having the two of them playing at uh-huh. home in a holding midfield. Um, and I thought Schneidlin was supposed to be you know, Gay would be your sort of scurrying, getting breaking down attacks, getting in players' faces, putting yeah. challenges, blocks, your ball winner, which he does brilliantly. And that's pr- pretty much all he does, really, because as we've yeah. seen, his distribution's poor, his shooting's even worse, isn't it, Phil? But yeah. with Schneidlin, I thought I expected a lot more. And yeah. we saw flashes of it, and Koeman, you know, by his standards, threw his toys at the pram to get Schneidlin into yeah. the club. And, and you could see initially why. He thought, hang on, this is an elegant midfielder. In the Gareth Barry mould, who could not only put a challenge in, he's not afraid to do that. He could look up, pick a pass. I don't know what's going on with him. I don't know what is wrong with him. It's not been any injury. He had a clear pre-season. But Cumin really needs to get into him and find out what the issue is. Or, you know, if, if it has been a case of his limitations are this, maybe that's why he was allowed to leave Manchester United. We need to find a different way of using those two wasted midfield slots, maybe, because... Yeah. You know, letting Gareth Barry go in hindsight seems a bit of an error. That's a tragedy because you see the game uh, where West Brom played at Arsenal recently, and okay, they lost in the end, but they were very, very unfortunate to do so. But every pass Gareth Barry played was a forward pass. He's such a positive footballer, as well as you know, destructive at the other end of the pitch. Yeah, it was it was an error letting him go. I think. 
What about further forward? I mean, uh, we saw, you know, Umar Nias at the weekend, and we saw for 20 minutes the kind of player that, you know, fans wanted to see, a bit of energy, a bit of pace. For the hour after that, we saw the hopeless striker that, you know, can't control a football at his feet, so that, you know, yeah. that um, Ronald ostracised. Okay. I've received a bit of flack for my piece after he scored against Sunderland, and then was made to look foolish after he scored at Bournemouth, but I maintain my position with Umar. He doesn't have a long-term future at the football club. Now, what he can offer, certainly between now and January, or maybe now until the end of the season, is impact off the bench. When you're playing against teams that don't pack the defence like Burnley did. Yeah. Because when you're playing against sides like that, Umar, as a centre-forward, would be required to play as a holding-up player, as a target man, and that's not his strength. You know, His, his touch is erratic. He's not necessarily the strongest to hold off the fence. When, it's, when the game's stretched, and when you're playing against teams like Bournemouth, even though they had a lead, they're not protected in the same way Burnley do. So you've got space in behind for Umar to cause problems. So they're going to have to have pace elsewhere in the team because he sh I don't think he should start. That's why you've, he's got to seriously keep, either got to persevere with Vlasic, got to give Luckman a go, um, and, you know... Belassi's on his way back, but how quickly we can get him in the team, I don't know. Obviously, no time, no time soon. He's also got to find the right position for Gilfie Sigurdsson because for me, there's still there's still a really good player in there, but he's lost on the on the on you know out wide as it stands because yeah. there's no there's nobody charging either out on, on his outside. There's no pace around him for him to sort of pull the strings and use them on the overlap. He's kind of very muddled in the middle. But if you say to him, look, you are number 10, you, or you, you're going to play just off the main striker, give him a defined role, then you'll start seeing the best of him. But unfortunately, he kind of looks a little bit lost. If you, look, if you think back to the summer, though, when we were discussing the protracted pursuit of Sigurdsson, we were trying to figure out how he'd fit into the team. We were all, obviously, of agreement that he would be a bonus in the team, but how he'd fit in. Mm. I seem to recall we kind of decided that he might well end up playing... On the wide right well, of a three, didn't we? Ron Ronald had said, I think it, we were in Ruzombarok, and he'd said he considered him a winger, yeah. which is code for left of the three and behind yeah, the striker. Yeah. But but things have changed since then. The team are in a different place and a different position and are in need of different things. So I think you've got to keep him in the team because I think his set pieces will pay dividends, but Everton needs to start attacking them properly because he put in some good ones on Sunday and weren't made, made the best of and he needs to be allowed to play just off the front line with players running off him because as I think I mentioned in the pod the other day when Vlasic came on on Thursday and there was a bit more of a buzz about how he'd been playing Sigurdsson looked a different player yeah. but on Sunday when it, was, it, was, it became static and we got to the edge of the area and there was no conviction from anybody else he kind of got lost um, but the issue for Ronald is can he play Rooney and Sigurdsson in the same team I think midfield diamond can work in that respect and you play one deep one at the tip and one just off the striker he hasn't tried that yet um, but you've got to have pace either side then because both of them aren't runners mm. we mentioned that actually on the pod that we did on Friday about you know our preferred formation we said if he's going to go for that diamond it needs pace either side and you know Vlasic can offer that pace there's Lennon and Morales in the squad that can offer that pace but neither seems to have been used much recently and it's come to that yeah you know where we're talking about Kevin Morales all over again um, which again goes back to the flawed transfer policy in the summer yeah, because you know lots of the same type of player were bought and uh, not enough variety which again you know, has to go down to the manager I mean Ram 
I'm old enough to remember, you know, situations where managers have been massively under pressure before and have turned it around. David Moyes had that absolutely abysmal end to the year, uh, was it 2002-03 season, uh, after he had his very good first season, you know, <coughs> you know finished finish seventh 17th. and then finished 17th, absolutely woeful, but bounced back again. Famously, Howard, of course, was under pressure in uh, the winter of discontent of 83, but Emerson still finished seventh the previous season, you know, seventh, you know, his first season, so, you know, there's no, no major issues there, but... He was massively under pressure. I want to say Kuhn's massively under pressure, but there's lots and lots of grumblings now. Do we all have confidence in him you know, to be able to turn it round? Bucky's favourite, is need to go. Odds on at the moment, yeah. which, which is quite scary. I mean, you're a positive man, Chris. I mean, do you, do you, uh, do you have confidence in him having the, you know, A, the character, which I think he's got plenty of character, but, you know, the tactical now some resolve to turn things yeah. around? He, he certainly, he's, he's a strong manager in that respect, and he's seen, he's seen it all before, hasn't he? I mean, he's actually... Everton's oldest manager, even as, <laughs> as it stands, you know. Yeah. You think he's been his managerial career goes back to the turn of the millennium yeah. know, in various different countries there, his native Netherlands, Spain, Portugal. So, and and I think he's he's capable of doing is turning around a, a high turnover of players. That's what he had to do at Southampton. Remember yeah. when he came in at Southampton, virtually an entire new team. So this sort of situation that he's in currently at Everton with a lot of new faces, it's certainly. Um, not new to him, so in that respect, you, um, you, you've got to back him. But it's just what we were saying um, before. It's um, quite quite a different situ- situation at Everton in regards to what do Everton actually want from a manager and their, their expectations. But um, it's 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 not virgin territory from in that respect. He is used to um, bring an influx of a, a lot of new players and um, very experienced in that respect. It comes back again to those. The striker, the failure to sign a replacement for Lukaku because Phil's, I believe Phil even made the point to, in a press conference to Koeman, um, you knew how Everton were going to play with Lukaku nine times out of ten, didn't you? Now, I think you don't, You look at Everton and you, there's no identifiable style. Of, you don't know, and we started the pod mm. saying this, you don't know what Everton are about. Yeah. They're not even about being built on a, a solid defensive bedrock like they were last season now. I don't know how they're going to play, and it seems like maybe the players don't know that either, and that's got to have been something that surely when you, you're planning recruitment and Steve Walsh and Kuhlman on the board looking at we're going to carry either seemingly they wanted to carry on that target man style of play, and they and they were led down the garden path by Giroud and his advisors, and for me that's a smacks of naivety mm. that they didn't get that deal or get an answer sooner, and they allowed it to get to the point where it was too late. Um, You've got to look at maybe Steve Walsh, you know, as brilliant he is as a talent finder, he's relatively inexperienced as a uh, director of football. So I don't know whether you just give him the benefit of the doubt and say that's one of those things. Uh, do people get benefit of the doubt at that level <laughs> in the Premier League anymore? I don't know. Maybe he deserves it. Um, but we've got to establish a way Everton play. And if, as Phil said, it's not until January, it's not going to be, hopefully, it's, you know, we'll get the striker in January. It's not going to be the way we played last season. So what is it? There's, I mean, there's a while to go, relatively speaking, until the window opens. How are we going to play our way out of this? What's well, it's got to be high tempo because whenever Everton have flickered in, in and they've given you a glimpse that they might be starting to play well, it's when they've played quickly. That's what Kuma wants. Yeah. He says aggression about that must be the buzzword on a word chart yeah. since he came in. Aggression yeah. is his number uh, one and phrase. That for me, it's it's direct and it's pace. Tempo, uh, but that I, I know these are, these are just words. No, I'm laughing because you said pace. And 
But this is what I'm saying. That's why he's got to go. Right, Luckman, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I'm not going to bomb you after one game, yeah. or, or Vlasic the same, or yeah. or whatever. Got to put pace around quality players. Mm. Your Rooney, your Sigurdsson, Calvert Lewin will play every week because he's the most consistent performer in the team at the minute. Yeah. And we're just we're just going to be positive and aggressive, and not worry about what the opposition are going to do to us. We're just going to keep going at teams. Yeah, I mean, aggression seems to be something he's on about every other week. And you don't want to see players you know, picking up cheap and unnecessary yellow cards. But Everson don't seem to be doing that you know, as often as maybe they did previously. You know, Garner Gay, I'm not sure as a, you know, being anything like the same aggressive player that we saw last season. Schneiderlin's yellow cards all seem to be stupidity rather than you know, aggression. And it's true, you know, the positive thing, I think, is that the players are still clearly... Behind him, you know, we hear murmurings and we hear grumblings, you know, so from players, you know, so if things aren't right, and we're not hearing that at the moment, you know, it seems to be a tight ship, everyone's pulling together uh, in that respect. But, you know, that can change very, very quickly. Um, it, it's a mess and it's, it's happened, you know, far sooner than anybody had anticipated. But, you know, it, it's got to be sorted out as a matter of urgency. I tell you, I sat there watching a match of the day two last night and I was horrified God, when I, I heard... <laughs> no, I was horrified. I wanted to see what Brighton were doing. But uh, listening to Chris Hooten, who was saying, no, we were OK at Arsenal, you know, so we didn't do too badly. But to be fair, most of our points are going to come from home games this season. I just thought, oh God, where do Everton go next? Um, you know... Brighton, but it's yeah. it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tricky, but it's a game they've got to get result. You know, a result from it certainly. We just seem so easy to. Play. I said the other day, it teams must be like rubbing their hands together to play against us. Speaking to a Spurs fan and asking him, you know, he was at Goodison. He, he, he lives in the northwest. Went to Goodison to sit in the away end and watch that. And I was saying to him oh, how impressive Spurs are, and you know, Everton would emulate to play that way. And he was like, well, yeah. In his opinion, that wasn't even one of their better performances. And he <laughs> just he just yes. felt. He just felt that what was weird was how easy Everton were to beat, how beatable yeah. they'd been that day, how easy they were to play against. And, you know, he, in his experience, it's never been like that in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, maybe he's, he's forgotten some parts of the Martinez era, Goodison towards the end. But they do seem to be a soft touch, don't they? Yeah, to be honest, I mean, it, it's funny actually because you talk about uh, Everton being a tough place to, to, to go to. And Goodison was always, you know, the famous bear yeah, pit yeah. that, you know, so players hated going to. Managers hate to go into, and it's a double-edged sword. You know that can be the case, but equally it can also be a very unforgiving environment. And if things aren't going well, you know the home fans can get frustrated very, very quickly, and can become at worst, you know, critical, you know, absolute worst, apathetic. And when there's silence around the ground, that doesn't help anybody. And it's it's getting that way now. I mean, there was an atmosphere, there was an edge there at the weekend. You know, they were they were booed off, admittedly only by a handful of people in the main stand. And it was pointed out to me afterwards that they were cheered back onto the pitch again. Uh, but again, you know, that second half performance didn't warrant any kind of support and like the fans had drifted away long before the end. I was surprised there was um, many left in there to actually, you know, sort of boo the side off at the end. So they need to do something to get the supporters back on board again to get them, you know, fully behind them. OK, it might be good fortune that the next game is away from home against Brighton. You know, a result there can hopefully restore a little bit of you know, faith in the team so that there's some kind of noise at Goodison Park when Leon come on the Thursday. But, you know, once you lose the supporters, it's very, very difficult to get them back. It's definitely, as Phil said, tempo. Tempo and aggression and pace. That's the way to get a Goodison crowd on side, isn't it? Yeah, and they say attack is the best form of defence. And I'm, not, I'm not, not, not suggesting they go gung-ho by any stretch, but... Be be positive. Be in the face. Be you know, 
fight fight their way out of this by being positive and aggressive and you know supporters will will warm to that because they'll see that you know the team the team are, are, are desperate to get it right nice bit of fighting sort to finish with there from Phil Right, well, thanks for uh, listening to us. Uh, next time we come back, hopefully it'll be on a much more positive note.